Welcome to People's Church Podcast. So what is one of the most courageous acts or journeys that you ever witnessed? Maybe in your own life. One of the most courageous things that you've ever seen. Courage is an incredibly needed thing in life because we have so many mountains and so many challenges that come our way. But just think for it for a minute. Even in your own life, what is one of the most courageous things that you'd put a marker on and say, that took a lot of courage for me to... What is it? What about others around you? Or just even thinking back about other people's journey that have impacted you. What's one of the most courageous things that you have seen? Has anybody ever watched those guys that kind of go in those bat suits and jump off mountains? How many know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen pictures of these idiots? I mean, people. <laughs> I want you to notice that they're all male, and that means they probably are idiots. So, they put on bat suits, right? And with the bat suits, they jump off these cliffs, and they're going to glide all the way down, right? Just control, and hopefully things go all right. I don't know about you, but... For me, that's, I don't know if that's courage or, as I said, idiocy. There's really a, a blurred line here. Um, that's, that's what you call risk in a way that's a different. You're doing that. You're creating that. Life didn't bring it to you. You're doing that. By the way, oftentimes I think why we want to go there is because life itself hasn't brought you the kind of challenges. You've not looked at courage maybe the right way. By the way, not a good report. One of the all-stars of this, had a, his friend, just, what, about four years ago, had a big accident down in the canyons of Yellowstone there. Couldn't make that fissure in the, in the rock, you know? Yeah. Courage is so much more than you parachuting, doing this, trying some things in life. Courage is way beyond that. In fact, I think the best courage is, is when you don't control the challenge that comes at you, but you take it on. It's a choice that you make from the realization you're up against something that's bigger than you, and what are you going to do with it? So some of the biggest journeys of courage I've seen is people that face cancer, or people that face other health issues, or face relational disrepair and problems who get engaged. Some of the greatest steps of courage I've seen is just dealing with the realities as they are not shrinking into the background, but stepping into it. That is where I have seen amazing journeys of courage. People that had to go against the odds. You have had to face odds greater than yourself, probably more often than you care to remember. Things that come your way. Not that you create that say, I'm going to create an adventure here. But things that come your way because you are alive. And because you live in a flawed world. And because all of those things about us are always, they're temporary and they create these crises for us. You've, you've seen courage in people in loss. When they've lost and yet they don't back away from it. Instead, they engage with it. They understand that it's their response to these things that matter, not the thing itself. 
When we start to figure those things out, we start to understand real courage. We start to understand the idea of what faith really is meant to look like and what it feels like. Something where we step into the gaps of life that come our way with great courage. We read this all through the scriptures. We have all kinds of examples of this. And then we have examples of the opposite of courage. And what is the opposite of courage? You might say, just being afraid. Well, you could, but no, because courage doesn't necessarily do away with being afraid. Courage is, I got fear, but I still go and meet the enemy. I still go to the battle. So what is the opposite? Well, you know this one, discourage. You get discouraged. Discouragement comes in. And have you ever noticed when discouragement comes into your life that it puts you into this almost neutral and then it wants to reverse you, but it puts you into a neutral strength position. Now you're frozen against an enemy bigger than yourself and you're discouraged about that. Because what do I do here? How do I get through this? How are we going to go forward? How do I overcome this? How do I get beyond this? Discouragement is a huge issue. And it is as common as the common cold. I would say more common. I would say there's different levels of discouragement. There's times that you just get discouraged in a daily way and it's gone by the end of the day, but it hit you, discouraged you, something transpired within the relationship, something transpired within the realities of your finance or your health, but you recovered and you got back into courage. Or the, but there's discouragements that really go deep. They run really, really deep. And it's really hard to get through those. So today... Perspective part three, there is always larger courage. You can always become more courageous. In fact, here is the formula. I guarantee you this. Life plus challenge, which it is, equals a need for more courage. You never have enough courage. You always need more. Because challenges don't stop. They just keep growing. They just keep being bigger. Philippians 2, uh, 12 through 13 says this, you must continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That really is just a respect uh, kind of a thing uh, with deep reverence and humility for it is God who works in you to both, to both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Basically what we're being told here is that you got to work out what God works in. But you can't work out what God hasn't worked in. There is somebody bigger than any challenge you're going to meet, and that's God. We, we recognize that. But he does his work in us. You notice there's partnership in this verse. There is the working in and the working out. God works in us. How does he do that? He works in us by his presence, his word, knowing the Bible, having the scripture speak and teach you, having a humble heart as we read just there, a right positioning before a holy God that we understand how big he is and who he is and we give him that right and that should put us into a humble position which allows us to trust him to work out then my salvation. 
Now, there's many forms of salvation in this regard. First is salvation we receive through Jesus Christ and him alone simply for our sins. It comes by grace. He's provided it by grace. You choose it by faith. But then there's salvations from these little challenges that are always bigger than you. You might not have ever thought about that disrepair in your relationship as a problem of salvation. Salvation just means to be lifted out of it or saved from it, that you overcame it. It's not in charge anymore. And so you've got all kinds of little needs for salvation in your life. And he's saying you work out your salvation with a fear and trembling, knowing that you can't do it. It takes God with deep reverence and humility. There's the position of courage. That's how you begin to deal with discouragement, is understanding he's going to work in you. And if he works in you, that whatever he's worked in you is the seed, the ability for you to now work out on whatever comes your way because you're trusting and you have courage because he's done work in you. So David comes along upon a a soldier, a big soldier. They called him Goliath. He comes upon the situation and everybody's courage, it says, on that hill had melted. I mean, there was nothing. The whole army, that man alone stood down a whole army. <clears throat> David walks into the situation after gathering the situation. He says, I will go. God will give me this. His whole starting point was God will. Why was that? Well, he said he's done it for me before. I had to kill a bear to protect the sheep I was protecting. I had to kill a lion to protect the sheep I was protecting. Like, he's, he's been all over me for this kind of stuff. No problem. This, this guy's no different than that. You see, something had been worked in him, and now he's working it out. But if it wasn't worked in him, he stands in a large crowd on the side of a hill of the great challenges of life, in discouragement, waiting for something to transpire to save them. You could be doing that financially right now. You could be doing that in so many different areas of your life. No, God works in so that you can work out. How many here like working out? How many here like what you get from working out? How many here don't know what you get from working out? <laughs> when God works in you, it's all preparation for what's coming your way. He wants you now, you're going to need this to work out. You're going to need this courage. Otherwise, discouragement will fill you and you're going to be completely overcome. So let's take a look at five ways you lose courage. Here's five ways to lose courage real fast. And it's going to be found in a story of 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. This is a story of Elijah the prophet. This is the most amazing man, a most amazing man. <clears throat> God used him in such unbelievably powerful ways to affect not just Israel, but the surrounding nations. And he was an, just one of those guys that had such a strong anointing on his life and, and a call of God and a purpose in God. But in this particular part of his story, he's coming from the biggest win, the biggest win of his office of pro being prophet. This is the calls fire down from heaven, consume the water, the sacrifice, and the other false gods weren't able to do that, of course. This is right after that transpired. 
Listen to this story as I read it very quickly. 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. If you knew what they were doing, you'd be glad they got killed. These are the ones that would offer children on altars. That's how devastatingly bad this was. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Okay, so a threat comes. The queen. Queen, queen says, you killed the Baal's a prophet. Your life's going to be just like him. And, and, and may the gods do it to me if... Well, your gods were already proved they don't have anything. Elijah already knows all this. And here's Elijah's response. He says, sucks to be you, queen. No, he didn't. He didn't. He should have. He didn't. This caught him. After everything he's seen. After everything he's, he's been a part of. You're never, you're never in a place where you don't need more courage. There's always a challenge that comes big enough. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He had just seen fire come from heaven. He had just seen this miraculous event upon other miraculous events transpire. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, a little bit of a spread of a tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He's in the wilderness. He has run from all the way northern Israel into the Sinai, which is southern Israel. He, he prays that he might die. I would call that discouragement. Would you say that's discouragement? He's saying, I might as well die. Like, take my life. And then he puts it this way. I have had enough, oh Lord. I've just had enough. How many times have you said that in life? He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Next verse, please. Catch up to me. Catch up one more. Thank you. He looked around. And there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days. That's what we call angel food. Cake. No, it's just angel food. <laughs> he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. That's just the same name as Mount Sinai. The mountain of God. There he went into a cave. Have you ever gone into a cave? How many, how many guys here have a real cool cave at home? You know what I'm talking about? Man, we put time and money into our caves. I have a cool cave. Because of Linda, it's a small cave. I just kind of get closed off by more and more storage. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, this is prime space. It's not for storage. We all got cool caves. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. 
And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, that is a great question. That's a good question to ask yourself, by the way, from time to time. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing in this? He replied, I've been very zealous. Notice this, I have been very zealous. For the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Calls him out of his cave. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now, it's a pretty big wind, all right? I mean, if you can shatter rocks. We're talking hurricane force winds. And, uh, the, but he was not in the wind. That's where most people think of God. He's always in the power. There's some kind of power event. Well, he was. He caused that. But it, that isn't what God had brought for Elijah in this moment. He had already lived in all the power events. He just called fire to from heaven. He's been around power his whole life. God wasn't in the wind for Elijah on this one. You know, in familiar things, the way God speaks to us, they can get familiar, and then God chooses something unfamiliar to try and cut through. Shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. By the way, he knows all about fire. He just saw it come from heaven. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It's kind of amazing how a whisper can catch your attention. Because all of a sudden it's louder than you go, wow. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a whisper. That was silence. <laughs> when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. Fear, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. This is God now who's talking to me. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you in this? Why are you here in this condition? He replied, I have been very zealous. Notice how that sentence started off. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have read. This is word for word. He's been practicing this for 40 days traveling. I'm sure he has every day. This is his complaint in a nutshell. This is his whole assessment, evaluation, in a nutshell. And he's deeply discouraged. He's so at the bottom of discouragement. He's been talking about, I want you to end my life. It's over. It's done. It 
the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I, the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. That's an interesting phrase. There are times God says to you, go back, not forward. I want you to go back. You got to go back. You got to face this. You're not facing this right. I'm going to send you back and we're going to have a brand new strategy. I'm going to give you what you need so that you're lifted out of this discouragement and you find courage again. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, king over Syria. A king outside Israel, a worldly king. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, the northern, the northern uh, ten tribes of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Three guys. He says, I want you to go and pour oil over three guys. One a worldly king, one a king over Israel, where we have the idolatry issue. And over Elisha, because you need a buddy. You need a support. You need somebody to walk with you. And you need a protege. He says, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Remember, remember Elijah's assessment was, I am the only one. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Let's talk about five things quickly. Five ways to lose your courage, and this story illustrates them all. Number one, fearing that we are out there all on our own. When you feel like you're out there all on your own, and it's you that's got to shoulder it, you got to be Atlas holding the world up, and you feel the legs giving out, you feel your arms giving out, you feel your body buckling under the weight. When you know that everything you got you put into this, and yet this thing is still crumbling, and this burden is still weighing you, and it's not giving you any time to catch your breath or breathe. You're weakening every day under its burden. When you feel like you're the only one holding up things, holding two things, that isn't God's view. In verse 10, it said, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. That was his whole assessment. This, how would you like to do life knowing, I am the only one left, and, and from here on in, the business that I run, the family that I'm a, the, a leader in, uh, you know, in all of my extended family, in my life, I am the only one left. I got to do life completely alone. Here's the real truth. As a believer in Jesus Christ, God is with me, in me, and for me. 
He's with, in, and for. He's always on your team. You say, but I don't get the math right all the time. Well, what do you think grace is? What do you think is mercy's for? Your strengths? Look at this scripture in Philippians 2.13. For God is always working in you, giving you both the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. So he's saying, I'm always working in you, and I give you the desire and the power. I give you the desire to fix that relationship. If you don't have it, I can give it to you. If you don't have the desire to clean up some of the things in your life that you don't need to be cleaned up, I can give that to you. I can even give you the desire. Ask me for it. I will give you even the desire. And then I will give you the power to do it. Oftentimes we just think we need God's power. No, we need God to actually work with our desire too. Because courage comes out of how strong your desire is. It says in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can defeat us? Isn't that a great scripture? If God is for us, who can defeat us? More or less, the us doesn't really matter a whole lot to the win. What matters is, is if God is in that. If God is there, if God is there with you, the scripture is very plain. Who can defeat us? Nobody. Only ourselves. Only ourselves. Do you know what the greatest source of discouragement for you is not your circumstances? This is all about perspective. Remember, folks? It's in your thinking. And if you're thinking, I'm the only one. I mean, I am the only one. You just cut God out. You cut tools and people around you that he has available out. Second way to kill courage is to have fretting and fighting over small stuff. Stuff that really doesn't matter in the end. Did you know that most of the time relationships break up because of small things practiced over long term and they don't change? It's not a big thing. It's a small thing. He says, I have had enough, Lord. What would you say that to? Don't say it to the, anybody in the room right now. I have had enough. What have you had enough of? Fretting and fighting over the small stuff. And it's all, like they say, small stuff. When you weigh it in the life that you've been given and the grace that you've got to live it, when you weigh the daily things that seem that you fret and you're going to fight over to the big picture of what life has and holds for you, when you weigh it against the opportunities that await you, you begin to recognize how this is just small stuff compared to the good stuff. Truth, be grateful and never complain or argue. Why? Grateful is a whole perspective shaper. In fact, we are told to be grateful in all things. It's amazing when we think about that. 
But he's saying, here's the way that you shape your perspective because through gratefulness, it can buddy up with courage. When you're grateful, I will give you courage. There's courage that will buddy up with gratefulness. Philippians 2, 14 to 15 says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. Don't take the path of perspective-shaping life of complaining and arguing all the time over the small stuff, this stuff. That is stuff that, that is going to take you down the wrong, word, wrong road. You're going to be filled with discouragement because you'll have a lot of unclosed circles. You're going to have a lot of issues that never get solved. And then in, Philipp, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, In everything give thanks. That's being grateful. In everything give thanks. For what? For this. Not for the thing itself. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What? In everything, don't lose giving thanks. Because if you give thanks even in things that are not good in that regards, you're giving thanks that God is in control and I'm not alone. And gratefulness towards God is going to provide the kind of courage I need to face and engage with the challenges that I am now faced with. Third, here's another way. Kill courage by feeling guilty or ashamed. First Kings 19.4, Elijah does this. He does the comparison. Here's his comparison. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He does the comparison. So he says, look, just take my life. That's the deepest discouragement. And by the way, comparisons are always one of the quickest paths to feed discouragement in your life and kill, kill courage. You're, if you start living in the world of comparisons, you are either feeding your pride or feeling your guilt. One or the other. There's no middle ground. You live in comparisons, you're either getting your pride stronger or you are getting your courage weaker. Truth, have a clear conscience. What's a clear conscience? Oh, I've never done wrong in my, in my entire life. No, that is what we call, you have no idea how much wrong you've done. Do you find it easier to stay in touch with other people's wrongs done to you than it is to stay in touch with the wrongs you've done? It's just easier. That is not what is being said here. A clear conscience comes because we're up to date with God. Do you know what it means to be up to date with God? It doesn't mean, oh, had a day. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong as far as I know. I didn't do it physically. I didn't do it mentally. I didn't do it emotionally. I, I think I had one of those days. I'm a, wow. No, no, no that's still comparison. Being up to date with God is up to date with him with repentance and confession. Today, Lord, I thank you for been with me. Yeah, I, my ego showed up here and I think I really didn't help this person because my ego got in the way. Today, Lord, there's some things I just want to get up to date with you. It wasn't the perfect day, but boy, I had some great things. I am so grateful, but I thank you that you're going to forgive me for the attitude I just brought. 
Today, Lord, a person really hurt me this way. You know, you know all about it. You got the ins and outs already. I want to be up to date with you so I forgive them because you forgive me. You just need to be up to date with God. That's where a clear conscience comes from. Not a perfect life, but from a perfect grace. Philippians 2.15, you are to live clean and pure lives as children of God in a broken and corrupted generation. You are to shine like stars, lighting up a dark world. Wow, powerful. In Psalms 32, 1 and 2, it says, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins. And God has cleared their record. At the end of the day, if you can go to sleep with a cleared record because your sins have been forgiven, because you're up to date with God, you have relief over your confessed sins, and you now have a cleared record because when he forgives, it is completely off the books. And you can go to sleep knowing, I did the package today. I had some wins, did some things that were not good. Those are now forgiven because I confess that they weren't. And I've asked for the grace. Four, forgetting what God has promised. So in Elijah's story, back to that, 1 Kings 19, 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. Here's the question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Every challenge that brings something stronger than you into your life, you are either going to live out the promise of God or you're going to seek to try to live only within the control of the thing that is stronger than you and find some kind of durable journey of some kind of small winds or at least put it in neutral. We'll keep Goliath in the valley. If he's just in the valley and he wants to shout, you know, fine, let him do that. Let's keep him in neutral. That's what they were doing. David hadn't forgot what God had promised. He would be with those. He would be strong on the behalf of those that would look to him. Be courageous, Joshua. You're going to have a lot of challenges. But if you'll be courageous, I promise you that the winds are going to be there. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you neutralized by this valley experience with the giant? Why are you having struggles? We need to ask, why am I here? Why am I so discouraged? In fact, in Psalms, David asks himself that very question. Why are you discouraged, O soul? And then he commands his own soul. Soul, bless the Lord. That's a good question to ask ourselves. What are you doing here? Here's the truth. Focus on God's promises and live them. What are some God? You need to get in your, into the word. You need to have that word brought into your confession and into your practice and into your strategies. I'm not alone in this. Yes, it's big. Yes. But I am not alone in this. God is with me. And I'm not, I'm not going to fret and fight over the things that I can't control. And they're small things anyway. I'm leaving it with God. I'm going to be grateful in the middle of this, thankful that I'm not alone. Thankful that the Lord is with me. And I'm not going to 
fall into guilt and shame and say, oh, somehow, you know, I deserve this, or somehow this is something that uh, God, you know, I've created this. It's kind of that live in, let them live in their own bed kind of mentality. Man, aren't you glad God didn't say live in your own bed? Let them live in their own bed. They created it, let them live in it. Aren't you so glad? What are you doing there? You're chosen. To live in a bed you created, don't do it. Remember God's promise. It's based in mercy and grace. And that his power is absolute. The truth, focus on God's promises and live them. Hold tightly to the word of life. Philippians 2, 16. Hold tightly to the word of life. Because life will try to take the word of life out. Psalm 119.35, lead me in the path of your commands because that is where my happiness is found. Where's it found? In the paths of your commands. When I just obey your word and I'm going to be grateful because you are with me. I am in the middle of this thing, but you are with me. You will find a path of happiness in the midst. Number five, focusing only on ourselves. Here's a sure way to increase discouragement, kill courage. Focus only on ourselves. 1 Kings 19.10, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Look at this guy. He's coming. Look at the first letter of this verse. I. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. It's me that's been. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill you. See the eyes in his complaints? This is a great man of God. All of us have a battle with discouragement. All of us. It's not whether you will have it, it's whether you will climb out of it. You can't control everything that happens to you in life, but you can control your response to it. When we focus only on ourselves, survival becomes paramount. You will strengthen the lack of courage in your life. You will move into greater weakness simply because you're not using the courage to face things and you are focusing only on your own self. How this affects you. How you see it. I think, I think faith as it matures in our life tends to try to get us a view to see things not as you see it, but how does he see it? What purpose is in these things? First Kings 19.18 says, Yet I reserve, God is speaking in the first person, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He's saying, I got 7,000 others. And they've never bowed down to this idol. You are never alone, but you can live like you are. 
You've always got people of faith that can stand with you. You've always got the resources of God to expose them and bring them into your life. But you have to be one that's not just going to focus on yourself. Here's the truth. Your way out of discouragement, catch this, is what you will serve. If you serve your fear, you'll never get out of it. I'm telling you, you'll never get out of it. Your way out is going to be determined by what you will serve. Philippians 2, 17 through 18 says, Your faith makes you offer your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. If I have to offer my own blood as a sacrifice, Paul says, I will be happy and full of joy. And you should be happy and full of joy with me too. Boy, what's he saying? Very simply, he's just saying, you know, the cost that you will pay in sacrifice, in serving God, is the way that you will be truly filled with joy and happiness. How can that be that I pay a cost and I get happier? Your happiness and joy comes from what has the deepest meaning in your life that you're willing to pay a cost for. Not from what you accumulate. You want to know what's really valuable to you? It's not determined by an inventory list of what's in your house or your garage or in your business or in your bank. What will really make you happy and joyful, and if you want to know what you really value, is what you will pay the highest personal cost for. And when you put God at the top of that list and you say, I was going to serve God. That's who I serve. Through the storms, through the problems, that's who I serve. You're saying, he is what I value. When you're willing to do that for your marriage, for your children, for your siblings, for your parents, for your neighbor, oh, the good Samaritan, he was willing to pay the cost. This man was a man that demonstrated love, extraordinary love, because this was a racist exchange in most cases. And in this case, it was an exchange of a man's good heart determining value. What are you willing to pay the cost for? Because whatever you serve, I guarantee you, that is going to determine whether you get out of discouragement. And if you only serve yourself, there's no way out. Understand what really matters to you. Understand what is worth the expenditure of your life in time, energy, funds, gifts, talents. Understand what is important that if it even in Paul's case say, it would cost you your very life. Because that's what really matters to you, whatever you would give your life for. And that's why 
in the case of the farmer who had great crops year after year and his bins were full and he said, what will I do with all this extra grain? He says, I know. Here's what I will do. I will build more bins. And the Lord said in telling this story, Jesus said, he's a fool because that very night his soul would be required of him and his soul had only served him. Big message. There is always bigger strength. It's there. Wherever you are finding discouragement, invade your space, control your mind, take over your thoughts, direct your steps. God has a way out. He is the source that can bring you through things. Because you will put faith and not be doing the things that tear apart your courage. In doing those things that tear apart your courage, you only entrench it. Stop fearing, stop fretting, stop fighting. Stop feeling guilty and ashamed. Stop forgetting what the good stuff is and what God has promised you. It's all in the word, it's all to us. Stop focusing only on yourself. You just stop that. And start moving your way out of discouragement. In that, may God give you courage to face the things that we need to, beginning right now, wherever that is, whatever that is. And may we in humility, humility, be those that are living out what he has worked in. Okay? Father, we thank you for your good grace to us. May it be upon us as we, Lord, move into the rest of our day that we have such an appreciation and a sense of your presence and your goodness to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.